Welcome back to the Roster Watch Podcast. This is Alex Dunlap. Today I bring you my conversation with Pat Fitzmorris. Pat is an editor, writer, and fantasy football analyst who's well known for his in-season accuracy as measured over at Fantasy Pros. He's a contributor to the Football Girl website as well as the host of Fits on Fantasy, where you should pause this recording right now and go subscribe. You can find him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. In this episode, we talk about a little bit of everything, uh, how to handle the first few rounds in 2019 fantasy drafts, the polarizing nature of running backs available in that sort of late round three, early round four pocket, um, a strategy for when you should target tight ends. There's just a bunch of stuff. Oh, and then we, of course, talk about Pat's beloved Packers and what the hell is going on up there in Green Bay. You can support the Roster Watch podcast and get access to bonus podcasts each week featuring me, Byron Lambert, and the Trash Man with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. And please remember, it's entirely due to the support of listeners like you that this is all possible, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, on to my conversation with the man, Pat Fitzmorris. This is Dexter Williams, and you're listening to Roster Watch. All right, you heard it coming in. He is the man from over at the Football Girl, and of course, uh, the Fits on Fantasy podcast, uh, one that I've started listening to ever since he so nicely brought me on as a guest. Certainly, as we said in the open, we recommend you mobilize, unite Roster Watch Nation, go and give Pat Fitzmorris. His podcast, Fits on Fantasy, a subscribe in the iTunes store. Pat, what the hell's going on, brother? Hey, Alex. So good to talk to you again. And uh, I swear to God, man, hearing your voice, there's almost like this Pavlovian response with football. You know, I listen <laughs> to you so much on the Sirius XM channel and hearing you like I feel that there should be games this weekend or something. You know, well, there should just, be uh, games this weekend. I mean, what the <laughs> hell are we doing? Right. There should be games. I'm sitting here working on a some working sitting here working on a strength of schedule tool and like a best ball cheat sheet. And like the uh, the uh, the dynasty cheat sheet and everything like that. I feel like tomorrow I should wake up. There should at least be games on. Right. We're working too hard for there not to be games. I know, man. What can you say? Absence makes the heart grow fonder, I guess. So it's it's the downtime that makes us appreciate the football months all the more. Yeah, I guess so, man. I just for me, it's just it. Uh, what do you what do you think? Do you think people are going to like the XFL next year? Do, do you think it's going to have the same sort of? Uh, I don't think it's going to be as doomed as the AAF because they have more money coming in, and I think most importantly, they're going to have a better. They're, they have a much better plan for what they're going to be doing with fantasy. What did What did you think about the AAF? Did you take part in any of that stuff? Did you watch it? Did you play any DFS or anything? You know, I watched a little. I, I didn't get too into it as far as trying to figure out the players and the, the player population that much other than what I was re- reading from like people on Twitter and everything. And, you know, I'd watch a, a few like series here and there, but um, I don't know. And it's not necessarily that I need the break from football, but I just like, I kind of wanted to know what was going to stick around before I made any sort of commitment to it. So I don't know, man. I, I don't know if spring football is going to work like yeah yeah i don't i'd like to think it can but yeah it's like you wonder if the idea of it is what sounds good but when it actually comes down to whether it is good right right man yeah like do people need the downtime like even the hardcore football junkies um you know and 
if it's a good product, man, I'll watch. If it's if I'm convinced in the the quality of it, and I know especially the quarterbacking, man, like the quarterbacking drives it. If you've got terrible quarterbacks, you're not going to have a very good league. So, you know, hopefully the talent is enough and they market it in smart ways. And I, I thought the AAF did for the most part. And so, you know, hopefully if, if the XFL can keep innovating and, um, you know, make, find new ways to draw people in, you know, they got a chance. I think that, I, I think that the, the, the ace in the hole for the XFL is not just the, you know, I think there are a few things that are going to make it more popular. And we, and we were very hesitant, like you said, like as far as a roster watch, we were very – like PFF just dove right in and they started dedicating resources to the AAF by, you know, doing the player grades and getting – assembling a team for it and everything. And it's like I'm glad that we didn't, you know, invest in tools or anything like that. Right. AAF, DFS, because then it's, it, it died after week eight. But I, I think that for XFL, I think that – It'll be a little bit less risky to whatever level of dedication we're talking about, whether it's just dedicating to watching it or dedicating yourself to to um, to to, you know, spending a few you know days during the spring, you know, watching this or getting to know it or whether you're somebody that's creating content. I think it's probably a little bit less risky just because we at least we feel like we know that it's going to be around for, you know, they have the money to get it up and running for three years. You know, that's like, that's in the financials. That is what is, you know, they can't lie about those financials. The, the way that the AAF did, that's all there and it's public. They've also got a deal with DraftKings and some other stuff like that, where you're not going to have to play these little small slates on fanball. I think that that's going to probably drive a little bit more interest, but I, I just, even when I talk about that and then I say, well, the ace in the hole is the fact that they're going to be able to recruit kids out of college that are these kids that probably going to be in the transfer portal and the ones that seem unhappy or maybe they've you know been kicked out for drugs. They're not going to be testing for weed. I mean, probably they're going to get some malcontents in that league that are really good football players. You know, it's probably going to be the place where the Tyree kills of the world could end up for two years before they go on to the NFL. And if that's the case, they could have some exciting football. So I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I'm a little bit more optimistic about the XFL just because of the way they've set it up, the way that they've gone about their plan of attack and the level of play that they might be able to um, attract just because of the fact that there is a little bit more of a uh, safety net there with the with, with the money that Vince McMahon has but yeah like, and I but like you said oh, man like I, I just I don't I just don't know I do I, I don't know if people are just going to always think that spring football should be there because why not because we love football so much as a society and then once it gets here they just don't give a shit because that's the way it seems like it's always been right Right. And I agree with you on that. Um, you know, like I, I, I do think they need some sort of unique hook, you know, and, and it seems like they were not shy to innovate the last time around, you know, the, let the guys pick what they want to put on the back of the Jersey. And, uh, you know, it's something you, that obviously would never fly now in the, you know, concussion awareness era, but having the two guys race for the ball <laughs> to, right, instead of right, a coin right, toss right, at the beginning, right. like, they did some interesting things and, and hopefully they'll continue to do that. You know, the, a little more safety, uh, safety first this time around. But, uh, yeah, like it, I can't wait to see what it initially looks like. And then hopefully it's something that we want to stick with for a while. 
Well, we have a whole season of NFL football to watch before we before we go before we go dancing down that aisle. So, um, as far as the actual NFL season, the one that we know is going to be good football. Have you been playing many best ball leagues yet? Have you started to kind of dip your toes in there? As far as getting yourself acquainted with how these things are going to go once redraft season gets started? Yeah, I have. Ever since they've opened up, I've I've tried to pretty much you know be in at least one constantly. So I think I've done seven and maybe working on eight right now. How do you, it, how how are you handling the general layout of the first round? Because to me, it feels like you know between you know Saquon, Zeke, Zeke, Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, you know Melvin Gordon. It seems like David Johnson has sort of crept up into that sort of. Uh, sort of area there with the with the um all the talk about that new air raid offense down in Arizona um when when do you start thinking about wide receivers in the first round or do you, are, are, are you feeling like like it's important to come out of the that first couple of rounds with a couple of running backs I know that we always say you know you're always going to take what the board gives you but it just seems like this year I always feel better about my, my drafts in best ball if I come out of there with two running backs in the first two rounds. How do you feel about it, and when do you feel okay taking a receiver? Yeah, so like I'm not terrified to go wide receiver, wide receiver, if the value's there and if you're close to the turn. Uh, and the way it's kind of worked for me so far, I mean, I've, I've mostly been at the polls in these drafts. Like I've either been one or two, or I've been like 10, 11, 12. And um, – I think on one of the occasions when I was 10, 11, 12, I, I, I did start wide receiver, wide receiver. I think I got like De- Devonte Adams at 10 and uh, maybe Julio right, coming back. So, okay. yeah. so yeah. Um, you know, and I wouldn't any combination of like, you know, Beckham, Devonte, Julio, Michael Thomas that you can get at the turn. Like I'm okay with that. And, you know, it, coming back like around and round three you might be able to get a marlin back um you know i'm i think i'm a little higher on aaron jones than some people are um you know people seem to be hating on lamar miller this year like three years ago everyone was screaming for him to get the ball more and now like no one wants to touch the guy and i'm totally fine with taking him like uh you know early fourth round uh, it just seems like i don't know i know a lot of people want Giannis uh, Foreman to be a thing, but you know he's he's got that that injury is going to be hard to come back from to full strength, man. I I don't know if they're getting ready to pull the plug on Lamar yet. I know they brought in Karan Higdon, who was a pretty decent college back, but like I feel even if they do start working in Foreman more and trying to make him more the lead guy, like it's going to be kind of a soft landing because I still think Lamar is going to be the best pass catching back in Houston. So, you know, even if he becomes like the change of pace and third down guy, you're not going to go totally broke spending a a fourth round pick on him. He's still going to maybe be a little playable. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not terrified of going wide receiver, wide receiver, but, uh, I also like Joe Mixon a lot and a lot of people, you know, seem to let him go past the first 10 picks or so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm okay with taking David Johnson at six, seven, eight, if he's there, you know, I'm starting to shy away from Le'Veon Bell. I think I got him in maybe one of those best balls, right. but, um, you know, I just, 
especially with Adam Gase saying <laughs> that he kind of didn't want to sign him to that kind of money. Which is, uh, just, I mean, it's crazy that he could, that he could let that get out. I, I don't think he came out and said it, but he but he let it get out, and it's just you know that you know he's you know Le'Veon's going to hear that, and you know he's a, yeah. And even now he's acknowledged like he's happy that Bell's there, but like he didn't really want to allocate those kinds of resources to it, which is still which is rightly so, but it's still stupid. A, a backhanded stupid thing for Le'Veon. It's, it's a stupid right, thing to say. right. And plus, he's going from that great offensive line in Pittsburgh to a really shaky one with the Jets. So I'm kind of ducking him a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, still trying to be pretty flexible in the first couple of rounds and just like taking whatever whatever the best values are. And if it's wide receiver, wide receiver, so be it. Well, clearly, I mean, if 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 that's where the value leads you, like we always say, man, you know, you you got to let the draft fall to you. And if you go in with any of these preconceived notions about how it's going to, you know, how it's going to work, you're just going to get punched in the face. It's like it's it's never going to fall like you think. I guess what I'm saying is, I generally like the way that my teams look a lot better if I can get a couple running backs. And I found myself sure. if I'm picking around seven or eight or something like that, usually a David Johnson or a Le'Veon Bell or somebody like that will fall to me. And then I'd usually been hoping to get, like you said, maybe a Joe Mix and a Dalvin Cook, something like that. They're on the other side. But it's not quite as easy if you're picking at four or something like that and you have to wait till 2.08 to pick again because then you're staring down the barrel of a, you know, I mean, it's possible that Dalvin Cook and the Nick Chubbs of the world are gone and you got to be looking at the – you know, the Antonio Browns or the Jujus or the, you know, God, God forbid taking a tight end. Have you, have you taken a tight end yet early? One of the big three. I was just going to ask you about that. And uh, I think all I've come up with in the the seven drafts I've done, there was one draft where Ertz slipped into the, I don't know, like the third Third, or fourth or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I jumped on him and you know, even that didn't feel that great to me because I feel like Ertz <laughs> is destined to have this target drop off. Like they bring in all these wide receivers, you know, Deshaun Jackson's yeah. back. They draft J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, um, you know, and, and plus uh, Dallas Goddard is looking like a really good prospect. And they, they almost got to work him in the more two tight end sets. So I I don't feel all that great about taking Kelsey in the first round. And this is a guy I've, I've loved and I've ridden in some leagues the last couple of years. I, you know, I, nothing, nothing bad to say about the player. He's an amazing talent, but I have to wonder now that, you know, even as good as Kelsey is Tyreek Hill was the guy you really had to worry about if you were defensive coordinator last year. I mean, that sort of speed is just so lethal. Like not that you're, you're giving Travis Kelsey, you're, conceding him catches but like hill is the guy you really gotta watch out for and i think you're you know almost a little more willing to let kelsey you know take those uh you know eight yard eight yard routes and and you know catch the ball underneath and now with tyreek presumably out of the picture for at least a good chunk of the season i just wonder how much more defensive attention is going to be focused on kelsey and, uh, you know, I just, plus I never liked the build. I never liked the way my team looks when I take a, a tight end in the first or second round, you always feel like you're playing catch up at, at running back and wide receiver. And, you know, with two running back spots to fill three wide receiver spots and a flex, it's just, you know, you're playing from behind in those spots. And I don't like that feeling. 
I've always felt that exact, I mean, from your lips to God's ears, man, I've always felt the exact same way when I take tight ends early, but it's just, it seems, and you know, whenever we look at the, at, look at this, you know, the state of the tight end position, I think that, you know, I think Eric Ebron's probably going a little bit too early. I think people are, you know, depending sure. on him to really take a, you know, I, I just, I, I think that you're really taking a big chance whenever you don't think Jack Doyle or, you know, Devin Funches or any of these other guys in that uh, indie offense are going to be able to take any of that touchdown market share sort of back from him. Um, but, I mean, the, you know, guys like O.J. Howard and Jared Cook, um, it, now that he's in New Orleans, Hunter, Hunter Henry coming back off ACL, Evan Ingram, I seem to feel a little bit more comfortable maybe targeting one of those guys and, you know, like round six or something like that, round five or round six, when I can feel when I feel like I already have you know two solid running backs, and then maybe I've come back around with a couple of wide receivers that you know hopefully and most optimally I would I would come out of my first couple rounds with two running backs like we talked about that I feel comfortable with, and then maybe the wide receivers along the lines of a I don't know an, an Adam Thielen and a Robert Woods or something like that, and then you know. Then I feel comfortable, maybe feeling like I may, might need to reach a little bit for one of those tight ends, just to sort of round out those you know key five positions on my roster. But uh, I'm I'm with you, man. Like if I'm staring down the barrel of like a George Kittle versus a, like a Juju, you know, or Dalvin, right? Like it's really really hard for me to pull the trigger on on that. It, another guy that's going to be falling into that same territory by the, by, the, by, the, by the time we start drafting Pat is Todd Gurley. Where, where where are you on Gurley? He's clearly had a precipitous fall during the month of May. He's gone from the number uh, five player on best ball tens overall to the number eight player by May ADP. But we have to remember that May ADP has a ton of trailing data going all the way back to February, right? So, like, if we're looking at just, like, if we're looking at, um, it's probably he's 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 not going right now, really and truly, till probably around the turn, pick thirteen, pick fourteen. When does Todd Gurley become a value? Do you think he does? Are you worried about him? What do you think about Gurley? What the, the, the whole situation? I think it's going to be one of the real skeleton keys to this year in fantasy football is knowing what to do with that guy. Right, and I, I know people who are just won't touch him have got him down and. RB 16, RB 17 in their rankings, which just seems like it's a little too steep. You know, as long as the guy's leg hasn't been amputated, I I just can't, (laughs) (laughs) I can't push him down that far, man. I mean, and I, like, I'm, I even feel like I'm being really skeptical. I think I've got him at RB nine right now. You know, I've got him behind, behind Joe Mixon, who I like a lot, you know, behind Le'Veon, who's, you know, should be clean bill of health and everything, even in a less than ideal situation, you know, and then of course, Melvin Jordan or Melvin Gordon, David Johnson, you know, and then the big four with Kamara McCaffrey, Barkley and Elliott. Um, yeah. So I think there's always going to be someone in every league who still feels pretty confident in him. So I, like, I don't think there's going to be a lot of slippage in the, like the late second round or anything in drafts. I think like you said, always around the turn, he's going to be pretty tempting with the importance of running backs and everyone, you know, looking to grab those, those high volume RBs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a little concerned with the, if you have him at RB9, if, if you have him as RB nine, you're concerned. <laughs> you're concerned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, based on what he's been able to do in the past, but you know, like, 
the the Darrell Henderson pick. I mean that that says something. You know they're they're a little concerned too. They want a, another playmaker in that backfield. And they already had Malcolm Brown too, who they obviously feel pretty decent about. And um, well, the Lions wanted Malcolm Brown, and they and they signed him. To, right. They they signed him to the ten, to his tender to where they couldn't get him. Like, right. So so basically, every time the the Rams lie to us in person, right? Les Snead lied to us at the at the at the combine you know even like Sean McVay surely lied to us at the combine saying you know Gurley's gonna be fine we're not worried about him because actions speak louder than words with these assholes and it's like when it like I'm serious it's like in every one of their actions it's like they go out and they get CJ Anderson they don't they rest Todd Gurley for the end of the whole season and then once he's supposed to be okay they say he's perfectly okay they don't play him you know they don't play him. They play C.J. Anderson, who's who's who was literally sitting and looking super fat, being a Twitch streamer, playing video games like completely <laughs> on his ass on his couch. They bring him off his couch and they put him in these football games and they give him the ball at the goal line and during critical times during the during the playoffs. That tells you something when you trade up in the third round to take a running back who is one of the most efficient that we've seen in college football, be, you know, be it at a lower level coming out of Memphis, I understand, but one of the most efficient, even when he had a backfield made in Tony Pollard, that was a fourth round pick by the Dallas Cowboys, Daryl Henderson, you trade up to get him. That should tell us something. These teams can't right. lie to, they, they can't lie to us with their moves and the things they do. They can lie to us on the podium, but they can't lie to us with their actual decisions and the, and, and, and their actions. And so for me, it's worrisome about Todd Gurley. I, I, it, I didn't, I noticed you didn't mention James Connor as a guy you have ranked above him. Do you, uh, do, do, do you have Connor ranked above him? And where are you on that guy? Because Jalen Samuels pr- probably should pose some bit of a threat. They they spent fourth round draft capital on Benny Snell, who our good friend the Podfather calls Benny Snail because <laughs> he's because so, <laughs> he's right. so he's so slow. And uh, and you know there's there's two lines of thought. One being okay, Pittsburgh always just uses their one bell cow back. They've done this you know under Tomlin. That's just how they do it. But. We did see last year when Connor and Jalen Samuels were both sort of integrated and both healthy. Jalen Samuels did bite in a little bit. We now have Snell lurking. Where are you on James Connor? Do you like him better or worse than Gurley? And what's your general book on him coming into this year? I've got him right behind Gurley at RB10. And I, I do kind of wonder if they maybe get the one back mentality a little bit when they've got a guy as talented as Samuels. Like, I just. I mean, is it me or does it seem like that guy has to be a bigger part of the game plan for them? He's, just, like, he's, I, I, he's really good. He's really good. Yeah, and just such a Swiss Army knife, man. I mean, there's so much that guy can do. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't love Snell either. It's kind of a, a plotter's game. But you wonder if maybe he is used a little bit near the goal line or in some short yardage situations. And, um, yeah, I, like I'm so RB10 isn't, I don't know, maybe some people think that's kind of disrespectful for for. Connor and uh I don't know I just didn't think maybe wasn't fully recovered two years ago but like two years ago when Le'Veon was still there and and you know Connor came out and we saw a lot of him in the preseason and a little bit of him during the season like I didn't feel like he was that impressive you know and then like last year was an eye-opener for sure and I'm you know I'm not saying he's not good but I I'm not ready to draft him in the first round like I'm 
I'm taking wide receivers before I'm taking him. You know, I've, I've got him maybe as like a 17, 18, 16 overall guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm probably not going to get him in a lot of drafts taking him there. Cause you know, with this RB hunger that people have in drafts, you know, he's probably going top 15 and yeah, I, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I've just got him a tick behind that. And I don't mean to be too disrespectful with that ranking, but you know, there is, I just don't know that he is a certified bell cow. Like I, I just don't have that confidence. And, you know, I, I also don't think he's a talent on the level of Joe Mixon, even though, you know, Connor's maybe got the better situation, you know, better, better team infrastructure for sure. And, um, you know, but Mixon, I think does have a bell cow opportunity, even if it's on a worse team. The uh, the Steelers on my the I just put out our, our version one of the strength of schedule tool for running backs where I just kind of just did the first initial you know look at the rosters and kind of imported our grades and and some of the uh, some of the analytics that we use for the matchup tools to see about where about where they would fall uh, as far as the matchups also incorporating stuff like the Vegas team total the Vegas team win totals and stuff like that just to give us a small idea of how game script could look for these teams etc and Pittsburgh Pittsburgh like by my first run Pittsburgh looks like by this has basically tied for the second best running back schedule on the on the whole board uh this year so that could that could be something that kind of maybe helps me to elevate Connor through the through the preseason as I think about it more and more but I'm just gonna have to get I'm gonna have to get out to that I I think we're, we're gonna get out to that training camp and just see how those how those you know how those splits are being divvied up and stuff like that I think I think it'll be important to get out there and actually see it you know, just to see like how, how much is Jalen Samuels really working in with the ones? Because if he like if he really is, that could be a bit like James Conner could be a guy that's not worth taking even in the second round. Yeah, that's true. You make an interesting point though about the strength of their schedule because I mean, it, like the Ravens for so long were like a shy away matchup. Um, you know, maybe not with uh, whoever's the starting running back on the Steelers. You're not sitting Le'Veon Bell or, or James Conner last year because he's going up against the Ravens. But like that defense has definitely lost something, and you know the Bengals defense and has kind of gone once in the fantasy football regular season. Like oh, they have a week seventeen. Still, yeah, yeah, so it's so it's still it, it's still it's still I think I have it ranked as like yeah, it used to be number thirty two. I have it ranked now between like number twenty and twenty one. And and so it's like it, it it definitely isn't what it used to be. And also, yeah, like like you said, the, they play in week seventeen. Uh, it's week five and week seventeen for Baltimore. Yeah, so, but the the Bengals aren't any matchup to worry about anymore. Oh, it's a beautiful um, one these days. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And uh, but the Browns, though, I mean, God, if they sign Gerald McCoy like that, suddenly that's the defense you don't want to go against. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that will that will definitely. Yeah, if they sign Gerald McCoy, that's going to death. The minute Gerald McCoy's name and stop rate go into this formula, that's going to make the Pittsburgh's uh, overall strength of schedule probably fall somewhere to more like six or seven because that that particular matchup is going to about to get a lot harder. Uh, very very good point there. It's, I I know you're from Wisconsin. I want to talk to you some about the Packers, but just while we're kind of riffing on these running backs, it seems like there's another tier that involves one of your one of your beloved Packers. Um, it's this sort of Damian Williams, Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry, Devontae Freeman, Carrion Johnson, 
Sony Michelle, Josh Jacobs tier, right? And that's sort of yeah. the, the late three, early four kind of tier. Tell me about some of those guys. Any of them stand out to you? Uh, Damian Williams, I feel like, is one that because I'm I'm going to ask you about Aaron Jones whenever we talk Packers. But so let's just go through these guys one 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 just one by one. Just kind of tell me your thoughts. Damian Williams, um, do you worry at all about? Uh, any of the p- players that were drafted there, or you know, you got James Williams that's there now. You have Dar, who was undrafted. Darwin Thompson, I believe, was either the fifth or the sixth round out of Utah State. A little bit of Darren Sproles to his game, but he's very, very tiny. Um, then, of course, Carlos Hyde also there. But it seems like some of that offense definitely opened up with no Tyreek Hill. So, but it's they still should be prolific and in scoring position. Damian Williams is big, he's fast, he's always been a backup, but he looked good last year. The strength of schedule tool says it's, you know, it's, it looks pretty tough for that guy. But aside from all that, man, what do you think about Damian Williams? Are you, are you willing to take that risk on him? So, yeah, right now, I mean, I've got like 12 legitimate RB1s, and I think that ends with like, you know, Connor, Dalvin Cook, and Nick Chubb. And then I feel like there's a big drop off to that running back two group. And, uh, you know, Damian Williams is probably at the top of that next, that next tier. And I like, you know, you got to like the late season production. You got to like the versatility to his game. You've got to like him in an Andy Reed offense playing with Pat Mahomes. But I do wonder, like, doesn't it seem funny to you, Alex, that not only that do they have Hyde there now, but then they, go out and get Darwin Thompson and Booby Williams. Like it just, yeah, yeah, that seems so strange to me. And I know Booby Williams went undrafted and that, you know, but that guy could definitely stick around as a, a, you know, third down passing down back satellite back. looks like James. Yeah, he really, he really does, man. I mean, he's got a lot of the same, (laughs) the same kind of game. He's just like a pure, uh, even more than James White. God, and I can't believe I'm forgetting the guy's name now. The guy, another guy from Wisconsin, the guy who used to play for the Chargers like 10 years ago, who was their satellite back. And uh, so can't the for the from life Wisconsin of from 10 years yes. ago. You should oh, know man. that. Come on, it's, uh, it's, it's it not not my, it's 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 from before ball. I'll figure this out. Yeah, it's it's pre ball. Um, oh, man. I I, that, that's kind of who James Williams reminds me of. So I'll, I'll figure that out before too long. Um, yeah. So I want to be high on Damian Williams. Like the situation is, is so much better than a lot of the other guys on the tier. Um, you know, with maybe the exception of Marlon Mack, who's got probably a little less competition, but, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm pretty good. If, if I do wind up taken wide receiver wide receiver you know if it could somehow get back to me in the third and i could get damian williams i'd be i'd be happy with that so you know i i feel pretty good about it but just like it it kind of eats at me a little bit that they took those two wide receivers or or that they drafted one and signed one you know like i i wonder how how many (laughs) how many backs they're going to use in this offense like i don't think damian williams is going to be a pure workhorse with all those guys around yet i mean he i do think he's going to be the lead guy and the offense is so good that he doesn't have to be the lead guy to put up really good numbers it do, it, it doesn't i mean it seems like you're kind of like me you don't really 
you're you're just not too into him. Uh, like our, our, Marlon Mack has climbed up six spots in May just because he's just pulled the ultimate Neo in the Matrix. Man, dodged every single bullet as far as the you know as far as free agency, as far as the draft, everything. It looks like he's set up to get run and an offense that Vegas has at almost an eleven win total. It's unbelievable how Chris Ballard has put that Colts um, roster together with the uh, not only with just. And cheaply, just I mean, they they have all the money in the world to go out and go out and spend on free agents next year, and they've uh, they've just they've done a terrific job of, of t- team building there in Indy, following you know all the sins of Ryan Grigson. I cannot believe he pulled them out of that that quickly. What do you think about Marlon Mack at going probably right now at you know end of it maybe two, you know three point. 08, 3.07, somewhere around there. Are you are are you warm on him? Cool on him? What do you think? Yeah, he's right right there with Damian Williams for me. I'm I'm warm on him for sure, just because I I feel like that offensive line is just going to continue to maul people. And Mac is in such a good situation as long as he stays healthy. I think the numbers are going to be there. Like, didn't have a lot of real splash games last year but I, I think they could be coming in that offense and it just seems like the Colts are going to be in a situation where you know they're going to get a lot of favorable game scripts this year so like I mean there might even be more upside for Mac than there is for Damian Williams just because I think you know the, the roles are pretty clear there like I don't think Naheem Hines is a threat to him for early down work at all you know he's he's pretty you know, cut and dried a satellite back. And, uh, I don't think there's like any upside for him to really challenge Mac for, uh, early down duty. I don't think Wilkins is going to do that. So, you know, Gore finally out of the picture. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a a pretty good looking situation for him and, you know, just a, a question of whether he can be, I don't know, put up like RB one caliber numbers, you know, does, does the talents, um, is he talented enough to give us like a 1500 yard rushing season, a dozen touchdowns, you know, maybe not, but I think this, the numbers could still end up looking pretty good. And by the way, Alex Terrell Fletcher is that guy who I couldn't think of probably more than 10 years ago, more like 15 years ago. But, um, that's kind of who James Williams reminds me of. Terrell Fletcher, huh? When when was Ter- when when was Terrell Fletcher? It's like two thousand four or something like that. Yeah, I, yeah. God, was it maybe even before that? I think I I, I think it I have was. To go. I think it was because I'm because I'm looking here. It's like it, like I think that's even before like Anthony more like, Davis and stuff like that. I think it's yeah. That could be I, that could be more like. 20 years ago, man. I could be dating <laughs> myself here. <laughs> you, you went to the Wayback Machine. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah, I, so, yeah, I think that, uh, I, I think that, um, I think that, you know, I think that Williams definitely is a guy that we, we'll just see what happens through camp. He's like, shit, he, he might not make the team, but if he does, you know, he's like what we've seen out of him as far as a pass catcher, that's a, that's a, that's a skill set that we probably need to worry about as, as far as the touches there for Damian Williams. What about these guys? Uh, Derek Henry, carry on Johnson, Devonte Freeman, um, any strong feelings about any of those guys? They've, they've all three been rising in ADP to varying degrees. Derrick Henry's risen up three uh, spots this month, up to 34. Devontae, three spots, up to 36. Carry on Johnson, one spot, up to 35. I think that 
both of those make sense except for carry on. You know, it's like we've got the good news with Devontae that for you know, for one, he's he he's he's healthy coming into camp. For two, they drafted, you know, two first round offensive linemen. That means Devontae's gonna have five first round offensive linemen and he's running behind unbelievably. Um we know that Te- we 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 know that Tevin's gone. Of course, Edo Smith's gonna be there to be there to um you know, maybe they liked using him down at the goal line last year, but like I talked to Byron about, I just I think that's because they didn't like Tevin Coleman down at the goal line, and we know how much they love Devontae Freeman down there based on his uh, opportunities prior to last season when he was injured. And then Derrick Henry, we've just gotten more and more and more word that they're gonna they really want to feature him the way that they should have always been featuring him, the way I've always said they should. They should have listened to me the whole time because that's what they're now saying. We need to use Derrick Henry and feed him the football because he gets better through football games. I think that those are the two narratives that have sort of fed into those guys. What's with the on Johnson stuff, though? You're up there in the NFC North. It seems like they are just committed to a committee. With as good as he looked last year, we were pounding the table, giving the football more, giving the football more. You ask these idiots at the combine, and they're acting. They, they say we don't want to give him the football more. Yeah, that's. I know that people want to take him based on the talent, and you know people are excited about what the possibilities are, but. Yeah, you're right. It just doesn't seem like they're full. Like, why are they wasting carries on LeGarrette Blount last year? You know, they've still got Theo Riddick there who they're going to use on passing downs. Like, they're, it just, they I don't know, Ty man. Johnson. Didn't they bring in, oh, they, right. they, they, they brought in C.J. Anderson? Like, and they re, they, yeah, they got C.J. Didn't they re-sign Zenner? Did didn't they, they give, like, Zenner a short term? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Well, I know yeah, he's so, back. It seems like they're still going with the committee approach. And, yeah, like I didn't think Carrion was that extraordinary a talent in college. Like I thought he was – I thought he had an NFL future, but I didn't see him being as good as he was. And then, you know, he was was pretty eye-opening last year, man. Um, Just a really impressive rookie season. And I'd love to see him get the bigger workload. I just don't know if he's going to get it. I just don't know how favorable the game scripts are going to be with the Lions. Um yeah, it, I've, I've got him on that running back two tier, but he's kind of towards the bottom for me. And I probably will not be targeting him as aggressively as some other people are. Um, but I'll tell you what, Alex, I do have him ahead of Derrick Henry. Like I'm, I'm, we might have to butt heads on this one. Cause I'm not, I'm still not a big Derrick Henry fan. I just, especially now that we're in like this half PPR and PPR world, where you know so few leagues are, are standard scoring anymore, you just get nothing from the passing game with him. And I just feel like there's too much chance of of just being game scripted out uh, with him. You know, chances where the Titans just fall behind and, and Derrick Henry maybe gets a dozen carries, and you know if he doesn't pop a long one, you get kind of a, a bum week from him, like 40 yards, and and that's it. You know, nothing in the passing game. Um, you know, I, I, Dion's still there. I, I like Dion if he's healthy, you know, he's, he's still going to have a role, I think. Um, you know, and, and who, who else did they bring? Was it Alex Barnes? Was he yeah, the, yeah. Alex okay. Barnes, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Barnes isn't going to steal carries from Henry, but I, I don't know. I don't know what they want that offense to be. 
Like, are they really going well, to try to have sucks. it? Be- I mean, the, the offense sucks, and, 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 and the offensive line is underperformed. But that offensive line technically should be good. They have, it should they, be, they, man. They have, they, have, they have players of Conklin and Luan. Yeah. Sure, sure. You know, like they've rated, <laughs> rated the Big Ten for their best linemen every year for, you know, however many years. But, um, yeah, they, they have underperformed. You know, I, I don't know what what Mariota could be. And if Mariota isn't, you know, if, if he's just not that good, that's going to limit the touchdown opportunities for Henry. I just think he's kind of like a trap player for people this year. And, uh, you know, so much of what he did, so much of the enthusiasm is based on three games last year. You know, two of them were against terrible teams with terrible run defenses, the Redskins and the Giants. And then there was that nationally televised Thursday night game against the Jaguars where Jacksonville just quit. I mean, they laid down in that game and Henry went berserk. But like that defense just didn't, those guys didn't look like they wanted to be on the field. I think they had already lost to Buffalo or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, man. Josh Allen kicked their ass. The ship was sinking at that point. And, uh, you know, those guys looked like they were on the the phone with their travel agents at halftime, like booking their January flights. So (laughs) I just don't know if I'm ready to buy into the, you know, Henry being like this high end running back too. I'm, I'm thinking he's more like a low end running back too. And just, I'm drafting around him in anything, especially half PPR and PPR. Well, we'll see, man. We'll see what happens. I'm a big Derrick Henry guy, and I also think that he's much more talented in the passing game than a lot of people give him credit for. Whether or not his coaches will, um, whether or not his coaches will use him in that way, I don't know. But I mean, I just still go back and look at the videos I took from his pro day at Alabama, and I just I cannot believe some of the catches that he made. You know, I just I, yeah, I, can't, I I can't like I like I look at it and I just can't believe it. I said, well, why what, why can't they let this guy catch the football? But I've heard you say that on your radio show before, like talk about his pass catching prowess, and I I totally buy into it. You know, I believe it. But, but we just, you know, but, do they let I, him play? Yeah, but the fact is, we we haven't seen it at the NFL sure. level. So what like what's going on with that? I, like clearly, I understand that that's a that's a big you know it's a big leak in any argument that I have. This that's pro Derrick Henry, but. Um, I just, I, I just can't quit the guy, Pat. I just can't. (laughs) (laughs) And, and do they ever let him, you know, get the chance to play that sort of role with, with Deion Lewis around, you know, I mean, not that, you know, of course, yeah, you could throw to him on first down. There's no reason you can't do it, but do they have that sort of innovation in their offense? I don't know. I don't know, man. It's just, it's a confusing offense. I just feel like I kind of don't want too many Titans this year, you know? Right, no. Well, speaking of confusing offenses in the AFC South, this is the last one I'll ask you before. We just, we'll, 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 we'll do the Packers, and I'll let you get back to your, get back to your day, brother. But as far as, uh, as, far as these – what about Leonard Fournette? Is, is, is he in this mix with you? Like where do you see him falling as far as this hierarchy? Yeah, it seems like he's getting sort of the um, – uh, like a new wave of enthusiasm. People are – you know, his stock had sort of hit the – I think hit so the too. Yeah, I think so too. Rock bottom. Yeah, you, you just get that vibe from a lot of people. And, I mean, you got to like the talent. And I, this is still the same dude who was just so awesome at LSU and, you know, the, a guy they seemingly want to give 20 carries a game, the commitments there. So you like all that. It's just, you know – all these repeated ankle and lower leg injuries are, you know, have to be a concern. Like the guy just has not held up and, 
you know, also sort of the, the fraying relationship with the team last year, you know, that got pretty ugly towards the end of the season. And, uh, then like a month later, they're saying it's all patched up. Everyone's on the same page. Are they really, I don't know. I mean, what if, what if the season goes South again for them this year, is that still going to be the case? So I, I'm not opposed to taking him at the right price. I just think that price is still in flux right now. Like, I don't know what the, what the wave of popular opinion is going to be come August when people are doing drafts, but it just seems like, I don't know, like he's, he's becoming a popular commodity again. And if he is, then I'm probably not going to have too much of him. But if like that price gets deflated again, like if he has some ankle injury in training camp and he, you know, starts dropping RB 20 or 21 in drafts, then I might be all over him. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not going to be all over him if he gets an ankle injury in camp. <laughs> Just I've seen how that <laughs> right. shit goes. You know, yeah. if it's something minor where he like misses <laughs> yeah. some practices and everyone right, right, panics, right. like you know how people overreact oh, to news. Oh, and, Jesus Christ, do I know? You know, like if if he hobbles a practice, like he's gonna he's gonna drop ten spots on people's boards right away. And oh, absolutely, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that might always be a thing we deal with with him, but. At some point, man, you know, RBs are replaceable and, and it's a tough position. These guys get banged up a lot. Um, yeah, and certainly he's gotten banged up more than his share. So I don't know. I'm willing to live with that injury risk if it's like RB20 or RB19 or whatever. I think I've got him like RB16 right now. I'm just not ready to take him as like an RB1. I feel I, I I think we have him right now right at like RB RB fourteen or RB fifteen. I think we're probably yeah. basically in line with uh, in in line with you. The one thing that I like a little bit about Leonard Fournette this year is kind of the same thing I like about Dalvin is that they've been somewhat protected by the players who were drafted because Raquel Armstead is not going to take Leonard Fournette's job outright, just like Alexander Madison's not going to take Dalvin Cook's job outright. But those are guys who I you know it's really hard to pick handcuffs. And I really feel like both those guys are going to be solid handcuffs for if these dudes go down that you can have in the very last rounds of your draft. So that gives them a little bit of extra value to me is that they have guys that seem like they are prototypical handcuffs that aren't going to bite into their playing time if they aren't, you know, like they're not going to be a pain in your ass unless these players get in. Sure. They're going to be glad that you have them. Yeah, Um, exactly. So... We d- I left I, I left Aaron Jones out of any of that discussion because I'd like to transition over to Green Bay and so let's just talk about it. What the fuck, man? Aaron Jones, <laughs> Jamal Williams, now now Dexter. Are you a, are you a Dexter guy? Do you think he can bite into any of this playing time? It seems like he's getting a whole lot of hype, man. I was not that impressed with him from what I could see at the Senior Bowl. With that being said, the Senior Bowl was not a setting for really being impressed with running backs. I've only really you know. Besides Amir Abdullah and, and David Johnson, there there've been maybe Corey Clement a little bit. There've been very few that oh, and Kareem Hunt, but there've been very few that I've you know come out of there just saying wow, this guy's gonna this guy's gonna be a be a star. You know, it's 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 a tough setting to really show out as a running back. What do you think? About, what do you Jamal Williams actually to to his credit actually kind of looked very good there that that week. What do you think though about um about this running back? Is it still a platoon? I mean, Aaron Jones. They said, man, last year that that guy couldn't get his conditioning right. When you just, what do you like? How do you see this playing out? 
Yeah. And by the way, I, I remember we talked about that when I had you on my podcast, Alex, and you mentioned how at, at the senior bowl, it's not really a showcase for running backs. And it's really hard to uh, see those guys strut their stuff that week. But, you know, it's it's much more of a showcase for those wide receiver cornerback oh, yeah. battles. And that's yes, and that's when you told me about how Debo Samuel was just taking guys to school that week. <laughs> and then sure enough, that guy. He, he gets drafted at the top around two. I'm like, real early. Yep. Yeah. People were paying attention senior bowl week, apparently. Um, well, they coached him, right? I, forgot, I forgot <laughs> if it was the 49ers who coached him. That's right. One of the coaches, I think. I forgot if he, I forgot if that was his team or not. But yeah. yeah, but you were you were saying how he just you know was such, and I don't mean to change the subject here. I'll get back to Aaron Jones, but yeah, you you <laughs> you called that one, so I'll, I got to tip my hat here before I forget. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's still Aaron Jones show and I'm, I'm pretty aggressive on him, man. I've got him like running back 14 right there on the, the Damian Williams, Marlon Mack Fournette level. I've even got him ahead of Fournette. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just ahead of Devonta Freeman, like so I, why? So, so what, I mean, you're, you follow that team more closely than, than I do. What, like, is it just that you love Aaron Jones uh, because look, when we've seen Aaron Jones get the rock, and we've like I, I'll, I'll always remember that Dallas game. Do you do you, do you remember that Dallas game? Whenever he, oh went, yeah, man, like like there have been games where it's like, oh oh God, you know, look, the Packers have their running back of the future. And I mean, I've always liked Aaron Jones, even going back to going back to college. You know, I'm I'm, I'm down here in Texas. I used to see him at UTEP. Um, or was he UTSA or U? It was it was UTEP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've I've always liked him. I just so with with you, is it just is it just that he's good, or do you get indications that they really might be veering away from a committee to a situation where he could get the rock more often? Yeah, I think Jamal Williams was sort of uh, Mike McCarthy's boy. Uh, huh. Like he just. McCarthy seemed to really like put a, a a lot of value on his pass blocking ability, something that I guess, you know, Aaron Jones, even though I, I think Aaron Jones, okay. As a pass blocker, I think he struggled with that in his first training camp. And, and that sort of, I don't know, like made Mike McCarthy have trust issues with them, which was kind of strange. And, you know, they finally gets on the field and yeah, I mean, the, the guy's electric with the ball in his hands, like him and, and Jamal Williams. It's like, why would you ever waste carries on Jamal Williams when you watch these two guys and their, uh, you know, comparative, you know, ability to make guys miss and, uh, you know, pick up, run away from people, um, you know, even make yardage after contact. I mean, Jamal Williams for a, a kind of bigger dude goes down fairly easy, man. Um, and, and I think maybe McCarthy developed some loyalty, loyalty to Williams two years ago when like pretty much everyone in the Packers running back stable was hurt and Rogers was hurt too. And, you know, basically Jamal Williams for a while was like a guy they were really leaning on a lot for a period of a month where they were, you know, giving the guy 25 touches a game. So, I think Dexter is kind of a, a challenger to Jamal Williams more so than Aaron Jones. Like I think Aaron Jones is going to be their guy. And uh, you know, it's kind of a leap of faith to say that because we don't know what we're going to see with, with LaFleur running things now. But um, you know, I, I don't think, like you said, I mean, Dexter Williams isn't the sort of talent who just like bowls you over. I mean, he, I don't, 
think he was at Notre Dame. Uh, you said he, you didn't see that much from him at the senior bowl. I don't think he's going to be good enough to, to challenge Aaron Jones. So I think this is his show. And, you know, I'm, I'm confident enough that the offense is going to get back on track with Aaron Rodgers, a pretty good offensive line. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not the world beater offense that he used to be. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is, is in the decline phase, but like, I still think it's going to be a pretty good overall offense. And like, I would be really surprised if Aaron Jones wasn't playing the lead role. I'm not convinced that Aaron Rodgers is necessarily in the decline phase. I mean, he's clearly getting older, but I, I mean, I think he's he's still one of the he's still capable of of guiding one of the most prolific offenses in the in the league. He's you know he's one of the best, and this is a league of quarterback play mostly. But when you when you talk about the guys connected to him, so. All right, Jimmy Graham. I mean, is he? You know, I loved the Jay Sternberger pick in the third round. Um, that guy's just a, that guy's just a stud. I love watching our our pro day videos of him and just seeing what he did during the 2018 season down here in Texas. Um, could he? Could he? You know, maybe we we don't ever. You know, for look for dynasty purposes, I think people don't even need to don't even need the advice that he's somebody you should, you should be poking around, but could he contribute as early as this year? Do you still hold out any hope for Jimmy Graham in that offense? I don't know that I've got a lot of hope for Jimmy Graham. Um, I, I think Jimmy Graham is still going to, I don't know if it's uh veteran deference. I'm, I'm not sure it's quite to that level. Like I think Jimmy Graham is going to hold that job. I don't yeah, think Sternberger is so, ready too. to take it away. It's, it's kind of like, you know, Goddard down there. Not that, uh, Jimmy Graham is going to give you the sort of production that Ertz has been giving the Eagles. But, um, I, I just don't know if Sternberger is going to be like good enough to, you know, blow Jimmy Graham away and, and, you know, send him to the bench early. Like I just, I think, Sternberger's probably going to need a year to just sort of uh, get it together at the NFL level, and and you know it, he'll he'll see the field now and again. But um, I mean, how to me, I, I see it a little bit like to me, I see it a little bit like with the Jets last year when they drafted Chris Herndon behind ASJ, like in in the in, the, in this year's the year where we're drafting Herndon. It wasn't last. Yeah. Year. Yeah, exactly. And it, it took a while and maybe we see Sternberger start to contribute more late in the year. But like, I think, you know, to expect anything out of him in a one year redraft league, I, I just don't think he's really worth a pick in most leagues where you're, you're only going 16 or 18 rounds. But, um, yeah, like I, I don't know if Jimmy's got enough physically to, to give us another tight end one season, but, you know, you always do get the chance, though, with the, the Aaron Rodgers offense. And, uh, you know, he does he has looked for Jimmy Graham in the red zone like he could still spike like an eight or nine touchdown season. You know, that like that's in the range of possibility. So maybe I guess that would be a, a tight end one season. I don't think you're going to get 700 yards out of Jimmy Graham again, probably not even 600. But you always have the chance at a big TD season. I guess, especially when there's, you know, so little at wide receiver beyond Devontae. Well, when we talk, speaking of that, when we talk about dodging bullets, you just look at this depth chart for the Packers. And I mean, I mean, has anybody dodged more over the course of the last couple of years than Geronimo Allison? I mean, does, does this dude, is he going to be the starting slot wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> oh man. I, 
So like they were they were given like some slot snaps last year to uh, ESB Equinemia St. Brown was getting some towards the end. Like they were maybe going the big slot route. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when whenever Randall Cobb wasn't able was to play, which was pretty often. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's possible, man. And, and Rogers seems to like him. Like you look at the athletic profile uh, for Geronimo Allison and it's like, so unimpressive, man. Oh my God. Yeah. If, if you punch him Is into Matt Kelly's player profiler, profiler. <laughs> yeah. but, and he had like, you know, kind of the non career at Illinois and yet like the dude's a worker and Aaron Rodgers like really seems to appreciate the guys who work. And, you know, Devonte Adams was kind of a worker and overcame kind of a shaky start to his career. And, um, you know, it just seems like Allison is the guy who's sort of endeared himself to Rogers with the effort he puts in. And I don't know if that's the way it should be, man. I mean, he, he does not have the, the speed or the physical gifts that uh, Equinemia St. Brown and, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling do, but he might be the number two, man. It's a, it's a really hard situation to read after Adams and you know, frankly, it's possible that none of these guys are going to be startable fantasy assets. But, um, you know, Allison is, is a guy we can't discount despite the uh, the lack of physical gifts. So you have to put your money on one horse is it gonna, as, the, as, as the number two fantasy option at the wide receiver position behind Devontae Adams. Geronimo Allison, Equinemia St. Brown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, or could there be some sort of swindly sleeper like a Jamon Moore or a Jake Kumaro? Who, who, who are you putting your money on if you have to pick one of those guys behind Devontae? Dude, I've, I've got a buddy of mine who's a Packer fan and actually like coach, coaches high school football. Like He's convinced that Kumaro is going to be the guy. I'm, just, I'm not with him on that, man. I just can't. Like He thinks Kumaro is, is a stud, but I, I'm not quite – ready to buy into that like if i was going to put money on one i think it would be mvs i think it would like just because he flashed last year however briefly i mean he was a a tease he was a a waiver wire darling uh for a couple of weeks and then just kind of fizzled sort of the (laughs) he he played that role then trey kwan smith played it a few weeks later and um just because he's faster, just because he, you know, he he popped for a couple weeks and then hit that rookie wall, which isn't too uncommon. And, um, you know, as, as much as I'm not counting out Allison, like the, the upside is just not there with him because of the athletic profile. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know about ESB. It's, it's possible that I'm betting the wrong horse and, and ESB emerges just because of that <laughs> tempting size-speed combination. But uh, right now, I think I'd have to go with Scanlon.
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 